I am excited about today's message. We are going to be looking at Psalm chapter 1, one of my absolute favorites. Uh, when I used to teach fourth and fifth graders, I would have them memorize this. Caleb and I worked very hard at, in an effort to get our young people to memorize this. I think maybe we made it about halfway through. <laughs> this is just one of those life-giving passages of Scripture. And so we're going to break it down a little bit today, but I want us just to read through it here. It's only a few verses. So I want you to find Psalm chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, I think Caleb is going to have it up there for us. Oh, I hear rustling of pages. People actually brought their actual Bible. <laughs> All right, starting in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates, we were just singing it, day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish." And so, Lord, we thank you for your word that gives life to us, that waters us, that causes us to thrive and to prosper. And we invite it into us today to do its work, to enlighten the places that need enlightenment, to transform the places that need transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so really what this passage is referring to is how to position yourself to prosper. How many of you want to live a prosperous life, right? I, 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 yeah, oh, you want double over here, <laughs> right? I don't think anybody would say, no, I don't want that. We want to live a prosperous life. There's a position that we can take up where that is the end fruit, and so today what we're going to begin to do is just talk about how we can position ourselves for prospering. And so in verse 1, right here at the beginning, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful, or other versions say mockers. Look at this progression, first of all. We have the ungodly, the sinners, the scornful. There's this progression of, I'm throwing off God. Now I'm engaging in these acts against God to the place of now I am scorning God. Listen, the company we keep is important. This is the first positional choice. Often, when a person comes to, into faith, when they become Christ followers, initially, it can feel very lonely. Why? Because you're removing yourself from this company that you once did life with. You've signed up for a new company of the body of Christ, right? But there can be a transitional time of loneliness where you spent this night with these people and this night with these people. Oh, if we're going to go on vacation, we go with this people, and suddenly you don't have that. It can be a lonely transition, but it's one we embrace in order to correctly position ourselves. 
There are some things that we let go of, right, when we come to Christ. And the number one thing needs to be the company of which you keep. I'm not saying we cut people off and we push people away. We want to reach people. But who we do life with is important. And, and, and someone once said, I, I may not know you personally, but I know what kind of person you are by your friends. And so this first is a repositioning of your fellowship. That which you keep company with. Okay, so this one feels obvious. I want to, though, move the next couple of positions are the ones I want to really highlight, okay? And, and let me just say, if you are coming out of that old life and that old company, it takes intentionality to build new relationships. You have to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm not going to walk in this council any longer. I'm not going to go to the old people that I, I used to go to for help, for counsel. I don't need the counsel of the world. I need a new counsel, right? And so I'm going to intentionally transition from where I once kept company. Now that means I have to build new relationships. And that does take intentionality on your part. And that can be hard if you're not an outward people person, right? So all you outward people person need to help with this a little bit. Don't, don't like smother them, but help them a little bit. <laughs> the, the second position here that I want us to really look at is in the next verse. We're going to look at, ch- at verse 2, and we're going to break it into two parts. The first part of verse 2 says, This person's delight is in the law of the Lord. You have to position that which you delight in, that which you take pleasure in, that which you have a great desire for. And the things before Christ, those longings, those desires, the things we took pleasure in can no longer be that which we desire after. We have something new to attach our desire to. The law of the Lord, the word of God. And there is a choice in this. You know, we sometimes, um, and, and I've said this before in marriage, after 30 years of marriage, Darren and I like to have fun together, and then there's some days that I choose to delight in him. <laughs> I make the choice to take delight in him, right? Because I'm not always going to be like in the first throes of when we couldn't get enough of each other back in the day, before we were dating, you know, when we were just friends. I'm on to you, young people. I know what that means. We're just friends. Yeah, right. I know what that means. They all have left me, and I know why. They they knew I was going to talk about this. I make a choice. I chose Darren. I chose to be in covenant, and I choose to take delight in him. We can choose where we put our affections, what we desire after. And the person here that he's talking about is the person that is choosing to delight. What? In the word. In Jesus, the living word. David, in 1 Samuel 13, see David, this is what was so special about David. David, King David was a man that was after God's heart. He had set his desire. He had set his delight. In fact, when you read Psalm 118, and it talks about the the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, what he says is that his delight is in the law of the Lord. He takes pleasure in in it. It was a choice that David made. And so we choose where we put our affections. We choose, uh, if, you, if you put this word up on a shelf and ignore it, you will never develop a delight in it. I say this to Darren all the time. I say, Darren, when he scorns my sugar-free desserts, 
I say, Darren, if you would just stop eating the other sugar, if you would stop going to the gas station, you would love this dessert. But see, he's on the fence. He's got one leg in and one leg out. And as long as you've got one leg of affection here, you're never going to fully have affection for that which is truly good for you. Right? I have not convinced him yet. He's still, when I bake something, he'll be like, is that the real thing or not? (laughs) I keep trying. I'm like, I'm not, I want you to be live long and prosper, right? You, your Star Trekiness. I want you to live long and prosper. This is my love for you. Eat the sugar-free stuff. I keep trying. See, this is God's heart. He sets his word before you and says, look at what I have. Look at what I have prepared for you. But we're like, oh, yeah, that's good. But Lord, look at this out here, this thing in the world that I just love. It keeps pulling at me. Until we fully give that up, we'll never be able to truly have full delight in his word. Position yourself to delight in his word. And it goes on then in the second part of that verse. So so we position ourselves out of our company, our old company. We position our pleasure, our pleasure in the word, and now we are going to position our mind. Okay, this one I might just preach on a while. You hear me talk about meditating in the word often because I believe for our culture it is sorely needed. In this passage it says, in his law he meditates. When on Sunday mornings for a few moments when the worship team is leading and somebody's preaching to me? No, it says day and night. Day and night, this person is meditating on the law of the Lord. And so we're going to have a little lesson today on meditation. Because the truth is, is that what you love, you will think about. Everybody say, what I love, I will think about. If you were to get on my phone onto my YouTube account you would quickly discover what I love. In my feed, you would find one of three things. Sermons from various people I like to listen to, worship, and homesteading videos. (laughs) This is what my YouTube feed consists of. Why? I love these three things, and what I love, I will think about. And so in Psalm 63, it says, On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. This powerful passage in Joshua. Joshua, who is this man of war. He's not some hippie meditating. He's a man of war, and the command to Joshua is this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. How often? Just on Sunday mornings? No. Day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. This is the command God gave to Joshua. And back in the day when Isaac, son of Abraham, was looking for a wife, he wanted a wife. The wife appeared to him when? When he was out in a field meditating. He had placed himself, he had positioned himself, and as he has positioned himself in the meditating, there is the answer to his prayer, to the longing of his heart. 
We're going to go back in time a little bit to before any of you were ever born. William Plummer, 1866, a writer, Christian writer, 1866. Here's what he said concerning meditation. The power of reflection chiefly distinguishes a man from a brute. The habit of reflection chiefly distinguishes a wise man from a fool. Pious reflection on God's word greatly distinguishes a saint from a sinner. And without meditation, grace never thrives. Prayer is languid, praise dull, and religious duties unprofitable. That's what happens when there's a lack of meditation in God's word. I'm going to go back further in time. I found this book, and I'm like, oh, man, as soon as I'm done with school and I can freely read whatever I want, I'm going to read this book. It is from a theologian, Richard Baxter, in the year 1650. Everybody say 1650. Okay, this was a while ago, so you're going to have to listen close to the language. It's got a little bit of a King James flavor to it. But see, I... The Lord throughout all of the centuries has given us wonderful revelation of his word. And, 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 but there's also a lot of truths from the past. And there's a lot of ways that we have let go of that I think makes it good for us to look at what our ancient forefathers did. And in our external world, because we live life externally in America, you... As long as it appears to all of my friends on social media that I'm living this beautiful life, it's okay. Things may be falling apart inside and in home, but on the outward appearance of social media, I I appear to be living the life that everybody has dreamed of. We live very externally. I need other other things to entertain me. I cannot be entertained from within. I need other things to stimulate me. I get, we hear the word bored. I was telling one of my kids, I said, I wonder before the days of, of all of our technology, how often they used the word bored. I feel like not near as often as what we hear now. Because why? We're very external. We live very externally. And see, what these ancient fathers did is they understood the development and the thriving of the inward man. And so here's some quotes out of this book. So hang with me as, as I read some of this. Because he says it in a way, what's that? Uh, the saints everlasting rest. Okay. I can post the link for anybody that wants it. And you can read it free online. Okay, so he says, Once more, I entreat you, reader, because you are conscientious about a revealed duty and dare not willfully resist the Spirit, and because you value the high delights of a saint and the soul-ravishing exercise of heavenly contemplation. Did you get that description of what it takes to engage in contemplation? Soul-ravishing exercise. Diligently study and speedily and faithfully practice the following directions. And he does, later on in the book, clearly lay out how to meditate on spiritual things. If you don't find an increase of all your graces by this means of meditation, and if you don't grow beyond precious in the eyes of all discerning persons, so the person that meditates, it will be obvious to the people around you that you are a person that meditates upon the Lord. If your soul doesn't enjoy more communion with God, how many of you would say that's the goal, more communion with God? If your life isn't fuller with comfort 
and you don't have more support in a dying hour, then throw away away these directions and call me a deceiver. The duty which I press upon you so earnestly and the practice about which I am now to direct you is this, the set and solemn acting of all the powers of your soul in meditation upon your everlasting rest. It is confessed by all that it is a duty, but in practice, it is denied by most. So everybody would say, yes, we should do what Psalm 1 says, and we should meditate. But very few actually engage day and night, night and day, in the practice. Many who are conscientious about other duties easily neglect this. They are troubled if they omit a sermon, a fast, or a prayer, yet they are never troubled if they've omitted meditation, perhaps all their life. To this very day, even though that duty by which all other duties are improved, that means that meditation will improve your fasting. Meditation will improve your your prayers and your worship and by which the soul digests truth for its nourishment and comfort. This meditation is the acting of all the powers of the soul. It is the work of the living and not the dead. How many of you are alive? Say, I'm alive. I'm not dead. It is a most spiritual and sublime work, and therefore it is not well performed by a heart that is merely carnal and earthly. Did you catch that? Because that's what Psalm chapter 1 is talking about. You've got to come out from the ways of the world to meditate. And here he's saying the heart that is full of the things of this world, they're not going to be able to engage in this practice of meditation. This meditation must have all the powers of the soul to distinguish it from just the common meditation of students. What he's saying is that it's not enough just to memorize God's word. You can memorize it and never meditate and get it in you. I know this for a fact. Because all of my years at parochial school, I memorized a lot of stuff that did nothing in my relationship with Christ. Now he gets very, he gives the example comparing meditation to bodily functions. In fact, I had to look up some words, and so I've kind of redefined some of it for our own understanding. But in the body, the stomach, okay, must turn your food all that good, healthy, nourishing food you put into it when you go to lunch today and make wise choices, right? I got some, mm. It turns the food into bile and prepares it for the liver, and the liver and spleen turn that into blood for the heart and the brain, right? So there's that process. So too in the soul, understanding and the meditation must take in truths and prepare them for the will, and that prepares them for the heart affections. That's what meditation does, is it it takes the, the truth that is given to you and it converts it inside into a transformational work as you meditate upon that truth. Christ and heaven have various excellencies that we know not of, and therefore God has formed the soul with different powers to apprehend those excellencies. I posted this last statement on my Facebook last night, Frequency and heavenly contemplation is particularly important to prevent a shyness between God and your soul. So it is really a work of intimacy. 
if, if Darren and I do not stay in a continual daily intimacy with one another, if we allow disconnect to come into our marriage, what will happen, we will begin to become shy with one another, right? We'll become distant from one another. It would be hard to connect with one another. He likes to come home at the end of the day and say, well, did you think about me today? He says that to me a lot. I know, no validation needed there, right? This is complete payback for all my years back in children's ministry when I didn't know what he was saying about me. The point is that the, the act of meditation becomes a very intimate act with the Lord that connects us to him and keeps distance away. And I don't know about you, but I don't want any distance between myself and the Lord. And so we have to, to, to choose in our mind with our thinking and with our affections. We have to choose what we're going to think about. See, I know that every, you might say, well, that's not for me. I'm not the meditative sort. Listen, I know that every one of us has the ability to meditate. Do you know how I know this? All it takes is one person offending me. And suddenly I have no problem meditating on that offense. It will run over and over in my mind as I lie in bed at night. I rehearse it. I rehearse what I would like to say in that moment. What is that? That is meditation, my friends. That is meditation upon the offense. So every one of us has this ability but it requires us training our minds, which doesn't want to be trained in this way, left to itself. So we train the mind, we position the mind on meditation of the Lord. And so, in the meditation, it leads us to the rest is Psalm 1. I think I'm missing a page of notes. Oh, no, there it is. Go back to Psalm chapter 1. And see, if the enemy can get you to knock you out of position, he will take great joy in the doing so of that. He, he wants to get your mind off of the Lord, off of the word. That's his goal. But the next verse in verse 3 says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. How many of you want to be planted? You want to be like that flourishing tree by the rivers of water, right? Psalm 46, it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the place of his holy tabernacle. When you plant yourself in the word, suddenly you are well watered. Suddenly, your heart is made glad. Your mind is made glad. When you plant yourself in the word, when you're meditating in it, you're opening yourself up to the living water of Jesus Christ. And suddenly your life has been made glad. It is flourishing like this tree. What was the goal for Adam and Eve? Satan was trying to get them to what? Not believe the word of God, right? He was trying, God had given the word, and they should have been meditating on it day and night, night and day. In the Chronicles of Narnia, there's, a, there's one of the books where Lucy and, who's the other one with Lucy? Is it Lucy? There's two of the kids. It's the later one, so it's not the original four. But they are trying to get where they need to go, and they were given a set of 
things to remember that they would need for their journey. Jill and Eustace, that's it. Jill and Eustace. So they were given this set of, of, of things that they needed to remember, clues, that would help them. They didn't understand the clues at the beginning. And it wasn't until they would get into situations that they would be like, oh, wait a minute, we were given that clue. But what happened at the beginning, they would begin to think about those rules and remember those rules. As they went on in the journey, they kind of forgot about them. They quit reviewing them. They quit thinking about them. And they found themselves in tight spots because of it. Your life, if you will adhere and you will meditate and grab hold, then in that moment, you, you will have what is needed within you. You will have the living water of Jesus within you when it is needed. But what happens is, is that because we have not been meditating, we get ourselves in sticky situations and suddenly, oh God, oh God. And now we're crying out from this dry place that has not been living filled up with the living water of Christ. And so the, 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 the person that's delighting in meditating, you're like the tree, you're planted by the rivers of water, and then the next verse says, that brings forth its fruit in season. That brings forth its fruit in season. How many of you want to be fruitful? I want to be fruitful. I will say this quickly, and I don't want to stay here long, but you have to be mindful of seasons because sometimes it looks like you're not being fruitful because you've defined what fruitfulness is. Sometimes it looks very barren because you're in a winter season and you think something's wrong, but you're just in a winter season and you got to stay planted by the, the streams, right? Because everything grows well, will grow well and come into fruitfulness out of the winter season because it stayed well watered. And, and so you've got to be mindful of the seasons. When it says, it says, it will be fruitful in its season. Okay? So he's the gardener, and he determines my fruitfulness. He determines my season. But i got to stay planted by the river. I cannot be moved. And what happens is, is that we get into seasons where it doesn't appear fruitful, and so we begin to pull away. Oh, that's not working. I'm going to pull away. That doesn't seem to be working out in my life. And we uproot ourselves from the river. We've got to be mindful of seasons and stay planted in the river, whose wee leaf also shall not wither. I want to be an evergreen tree, right? I want, to, I want my leaf to, to flourish throughout the year. It's the power of the living water. It's the power of the word of God. And all it requires is my being planted in it and my loving it and my delighting in it. That's what is required of me. Whatever he does shall prosper. You all liked that one when we got to it. Whatever he does shall prosper. Listen, if you look at the life of Paul, everything was not sunshine and roses for him all the time, was it? He went through a lot of hardships. But would you call Paul a prosperous man? Yes. <laughs> when you write a good portion of the Bible, I would say you're a prosperous man. There's a huge key here that this passage has been talking about, and that is the soul, the prosperity of your soul. And, and it's what we were saying. We cannot live outward lives. We have to be inward. Our souls must prosper. It doesn't matter what happens on the outside. If your soul is not prospering, the, the stuff on the outside will not satisfy 
It will not give to you what you need in your life. It's the prospering of the inner soul. And here's the thing. We get so narrow-minded in our vision. Well, God, this job is not prospering. And listen, God's looking at your whole life. He's looking at your eternal life. And there are seasons in your life, and some seasons don't feel like you're prospering. And you cannot get narrow in your vision if you're in that season. You've got to look up and look outward and look at where God is taking you. Because from we talked last week about the life of Joseph, and it didn't look like Joseph was prospering for a number of years, right? But if you look at the overall of his life, he was a prosperous man. And he, you, you cannot get a narrow vision of your life, of just what's happening in front of you. No, you got to stay planted and you got to keep your eyes on the prize, which is Christ Jesus right? That's what Philippians says. I am in this race because I'm going for the prize, which is Christ Jesus. And I'm going to get there. I'm going to run my race to the end, and I'm not going to leave it. And when that is your life, that is a prosperous life. Often, our Western culture, church, gets this picture of prosperity, and the church of Jesus Christ in other nations are like, so dis- oh, we don't get that. We're living in, uh, in fact, I'll just tell you, I was on a Zoom class this past week. And I'm one of just a couple of Americans in this class. One of my classmates is, lives in Pakistan. And as we were on that call, he was late getting on the call because he had been driving people. He's in a difficult part of Pakistan, engaged in ministry and rescuing many people. And he was in that moment driving people to safety because five churches had been burned that morning in Pakistan. And so I say we talk about prosperity and in our Western culture... Our Western thinking, we define it as this one thing while we've got uh, uh, our, our brothers and sisters in places like Pakistan saying, wow, there's a big disconnect in what we're believing here and what we're interpreting here. Is there that a great hardship? Yes. But listen, Akesh is blessed and he's prospering. And his prospering is helping to others to prosper in their great trial. And this is the way it works. God prospers you so that you can prosper others. God prospered Akesh and gave to Akesh what he needed so that he could prosper these men and women and children that had been burned out. And so we've got to understand, we're not talking about the American dream when we're talking about prospering here. You know I love the story of Unbroken. I've talked about it before. Uh, The story of Louis Zamperini, who was an Olympic runner that went into, uh, in World War II, he enrolled, he uh, enlisted and became a, a prisoner of war. I love his story because even as he, the whole camp had been targeted with the head of the camp and made miserable, they did everything in their power to destroy this man. Do you know what? In the midst of it, his soul prospered. He prospered even as he was beaten down. He was prospering. And his prospering inspired a whole camp of prisoners of war and then caused them to prosper. That, that is prospering. Why? Because Louis had planted himself by the living water. And he refused to be moved no matter what people did 
to try to move him. No matter what the enemy did to try to move him, he refused. He refused. He stayed planted. And here's the call for us. It's about us prospering and thriving, but it's ultimately so that the people we come in contact with can prosper as well. That's how the kingdom of God works, right? Multiplication, blessing and multiplication, blessing and multiplication. And Isaiah 35, it says, For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. Listen, it doesn't matter how hard it is in our culture. We have the living water and the promises for the places of the wilderness. The promise is the place of the desert. It doesn't matter if our culture is a wilderness and a desert. You've been planted in the living waters of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 41, the poor and the needy seek water, but there is none. May it not be so here. Their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the cassia tree, the myrtle, the oil tree. I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together. Do you know what that speaks to me? All of you are different kinds of trees, and the Lord's planting you right here in the Midwest, in this place of Illinois that Christians are wanting to leave because, you know, things like high taxes and whatever— it's becoming this, you know, word you hear Illinois and everybody's like, oh, Illinois. Hey, listen, God's planted you as a tree in Illinois that living water would flow out of you to our state. This is the promise that he has given. And we get so caught up in what's happening with it all and all of the politics and all of the other stuff. Listen, it's those places that the living water of Jesus were made for. It's the places that Jesus left his heavenly place and came right down to earth and engaged in. It's those places. And he's planted you there and he's planted me there. And we got to stay planted in the word of God that we would, we would have those living waters flowing, bursting out of us all around, all around, all around. You and I, we are the answer for this. This is his plan, that the kingdom of God would be propelled forward through you and through I. But we have to be planted in the word. We have to be planted. We have to be meditating in the word. We cannot be moved in our thinking and in our doubt and in our desires. He must be the one, the only one, the one and the only one. It's got to become the theme of your life, his word, the one and the only thing. We live in a very relevant society that does not like absolutes. But listen, there's an absolute word that needs to be given to them because it's what will bring life to them. They don't know they need it. I didn't know I needed it until the moment it came to me. And once I had tasted of the living waters of Jesus, there was no going back for me. There was no going back. I was like the woman at the well with Jesus. And she had tried to plant herself with a lot of men in an effort to satisfy the thirst and the longing of her soul. And it wasn't until she encountered the living waters of Jesus that she was made whole and satisfied. And so will you stand with me this morning? There's this interesting movement back to the word, actually, in the younger generation. And I love it. 
the younger generation has this craving for the word of God. And I believe God is moving it back around again for a purpose because he's setting the stage for something great. And so we can't despair, we can't give up. We have to fix our minds, we have to stay positioned so that we can prosper when, it's, when we need to be prospering. Now is the time. Today is the day. There's, there's not, we can't wait for things to get better culturally. We can't, we can't wait for our situations to get better. I've got to choose today, whether I'm in a good season or a bad season, I'm choosing today to make the meditations of my heart, the delight and the desire of my heart, the living word of God. I believe it's the answer to marriages, to families. I believe it's the answer for the personal stuff that you are dealing with. But it's not something you can just try it out and leave. You got to plant yourself. You got to make the decision, come what may, I'm staying planted in the word of God. I shall not be moved. We used to sing that song, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. And sometimes you got to tell yourself that because you don't feel it. You got to just tell yourself, I'm not moving. I may not feel like anything else good has happened, but I know this, I have not moved. <laughs> and sometimes that's enough. You have not been moved. And so Jesus right now, as your body, Lord, we have tasted of your goodness. We have tasted of the river whose streams make glad the city of God. And God, we're not a people that want to engage in just outward religious activity, but from the deep places of our spirits, we want from those places to draw forth the living water to a thirsty nation, to a thirsty people, to a dry and desperate people that don't know where to turn. And so right now over this congregation, I just pray that the word of God, there would be a revival in our hearts of the living word of God. There would be a revival in our hearts where we have kind of set things aside and let things slide. God, there would be a revival in our heart for the love of your word. That we would begin to embrace it. That we would begin to cherish it. Lord, where we have given our delight to other things that has taken away our time with you. Lord, we let those things go right now in Jesus' name. And we turn toward your word. We turn toward your word. And we commit to be people that are ingesting it. We're just ingesting. We just keep taking it in and taking it in and taking it in. It becomes a part of who we are. It becomes the thing that governs all other things. It becomes the thing that gives life in place of all other things. It becomes the thing that when other things are calling to us, we hear the call to your word in a greater way. Our ears are attuned to your word. Our eyes are attuned to your word. Our spirit man that is craving it would be well fed that your daily bread would be given to each one your daily bread that god when they're in the presence of their enemies that the table that you would prepare before them the feasting of your word that it would cause them to flourish it would cause them to be well fed in the places of conflicts hallelujah they would not be dry and weary but they would be filled up with life filled up with refreshment filled up with joy in the name of jesus joy that comes not from emotions and not from circumstances but from the living word of jesus christ the living word of jesus christ we renew our commitment to your word today 
we renew just tell them that i renew my commitment to your word today it's great when you receive ministry and prayer at this altar but what's greater is when tomorrow morning in the altar of your heart you take in the word of god you take it in and you begin to dwell on it and you begin to align your life to it friend that's where transformation in your life will begin to happen when you commit yourself to the living word of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Lord. Jesus. I want to just for a moment, I want to just for a moment to just center your thoughts on him. I want you to center your thoughts and what he has been speaking to you. got to set up an altar in your life for it. The place of encounter with Christ. You got to live. You got to live at that altar. You got to walk with it. You got to take it with you everywhere. When you're at work, your thoughts, they've got to turn to him. When you're when you're in distress in your marriage, you gotta, you gotta get the word there. When you're in physical distress, you gotta live in the word right there. Come what may, our stance, our planting is in your word, Jesus. And we just say to you, we shall not be moved from your word. And in a time when they, the world wants us to draw away and make your word subjective, we say no. We say we're standing upon your word and we shall not be moved from its truth. And if that's your prayer, just give a yes and amen agreement with me. Yes and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.